Coming up on this week's episode of Check Your Balances, we scratch the surface on the many changes introduced in the recently passed Secure Act 2.0. Stick around, that's coming up next. Check Your Balances is a show produced and owned by Craftwork Capital. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are personal opinions and should not be considered personal financial advice or the opinion of Craftwork Capital. All investments have risk and may lose money. Consult with your financial advisor, tax preparer, or attorney prior to implementing anything discussed, and please do not use this show as the sole basis for financial decisions. Welcome back to another week of Check Your Balances. I am Ross Anderson, joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Dan Maseka. Good to be back. It is great to be back. I don't think I've gone over this with you yet, but I have a new member of the family. You do? Tell me more. I do. His name is Hermie. He's a betta fish that my mother-in-law bought for us, and now he lives in our kitchen. Oh, well, welcome to the family, Hermie. Uh, that sounds like a fun addition. They have to live alone, right? Because they like fight each other? Yeah, I think the males have to live alone. I think I had one of those in high school, but uh, that, that's cool and gives you somebody to talk to during the day. Yeah, we're bonding slowly. Very cool. Well, today we have a packed show because we are talking about the passage of the Secure Act 2.0. This is the second round. This snuck in right at the end of last year. As you were sipping eggnog or popping champagne for New Year's, Congress passed a bill that includes the second round of the Secure Act. There are a hundred changes to the tax code in some form or another in this bill. It is unbelievably broad. We're only going to be able to scratch the surface of it and talk about what we think are some of the biggest items. But Dan, were you a little bit surprised that this got done at the end of last year? I was pretty surprised. I went away, as everyone knows by now, and when I came back, I feel like, poof, there's a new bill with 100 changes. It was very dense. Yeah. Even the pieces that are trying to like update advisors right now on like, hey, well, this is kind of what you need to know are overwhelming in nature. It's just a lot of changes. Yeah, that's true. So there are a lot of things that could apply to people, but I feel like there are only a couple biggies that are probably going to apply to the general public that they should be aware of, at least at this point. Yeah, so let's get into it, because I do think that there's a few. Some we talked about that they were proposing uh, even back in our Secure 2.0 preview, which I think we talked about in like June of last year. I mean, it was pretty early, maybe mid-last year at some point, that this was even being kicked around. But we certainly didn't have the details, and there were still a few things in here that surprised me. Yeah, absolutely. So let's start with the first one. Big one is the changing of the required minimum distribution age. That one, unlike many of other things that they passed, takes effect right now. Just to make sure that nobody remembers what age they're supposed to be when they start their RMDs, it just keeps moving. It has gone from 70 and a half recently to 72 to now a question mark. Right. So if you turn 72 between now and the end of 2032, your RMD age is 73. Congratulations. If you turn 72 after 2032, your RMD age is 75. So there's going to be a sliding scale there that you need to keep track of. I'm sure everybody just jotted that in their notebooks that they put on the calendar exactly when they're going to need to start RMDs based on that information. Yeah, I, th I think the big thing there is if you were gearing up for RMDs and would have turned 72 this year, you do not need to take an RMD yet. You at least bought yourself a year of time. 
nobody has to start them this year, right? So if you didn't already have to do it last year, you don't have to take one this year. So if you're not already taking RMDs, unless somebody passes away and leaves you an inherited IRA this year, in which case you still need to take a look at it, but you do not have to take an RMD this year, no matter what. I thought that was pretty funny. I wonder what that's going to do for the government tax revenue. I don't think it's going to change it that much. If they were willing to push this off anyway, it's just no increases. But you're still going to have everybody needing to take one. It's not like there aren't any RMDs this year. It's just not any new ones. Yeah. So in a similar vein, even if you don't have to take an RMD, you could still make a qualified charitable deduction. The age for that remains at 70 and a half. So if you're looking to do some tax planning and are interested in charitable giving, that is still on the table for you. Which is so confusing, right? Because when the QCD rule essentially was introduced, that's the Qualified Charitable Distributions, forgive the acronyms, that was directly in alignment with the required minimum distributions. And now you've got those unlinked where you can do the QCD earlier than you can have to take the RMD and a bunch of other things. It just feels like they should have kept them linked together, but it does open a nice planning opportunity if you're otherwise charitably inclined. Yeah. To remind people, the benefit of a QCD is that you can get money out of your IRA without having to recognize that income and send it right to a charity, whereby your ability to deduct charitable gifts may be limited in some capacity otherwise. I learned something very interesting in researching this RMD change. Did you know what year the RMD was first instituted? I do not. I was very surprised. Uh, 1986. Why did that surprise you? It seems so recent. I feel like maybe I'm a young guy. You're a young guy. I guess the landscape of retirement planning has changed dramatically over our lifespans, but it just seems much more recent uh, than I would have expected. Yeah. I mean, I think all of these retirement accounts and, and Morgan Housel talks about it in his book, to, not that he needs another plug from us, but um, <laughs> but basically that retirement planning is really a new field, right? I mean, like until 50 years ago, I don't think people even talked about this particularly relevantly. Like it wasn't like something everybody did where you saved for and prepared for retirement. You just kind of worked until you couldn't. Yeah. I feel like retirement planning entered my life so early that I'm still shocked by some of these things. Well, yeah. I mean, for us, it's been around since before we started working, right? Like before you even earned your first paycheck, you're thinking about how do, how do I stop doing this? <laughs> right. Put my first dollars into a Roth when I got my summer job. There you go. Well, so speaking of the Roth, there are a bunch of Roth-related things in this bill, including one that I think is particularly nice for small business owners, which is that you can now, in this year, you can do a Roth simple and you can do a Roth SEP IRA. That is huge. For self-employed people that were otherwise maybe over the income limits or had limited access to a Roth or didn't have a Roth 401k, they might have been completely stuck in terms of how to get money into a Roth, maybe just backdoor IRAs or, or, or some limited ability. But the SEP being able to do a Roth as well as the simple IRA, really, really helpful for small business owners. Yeah, absolutely. SEPs are so administratively easy that having that option, I think, is a huge value add. Now, even though that change takes effect this year, I'm assuming there's going to be a little bit of a wait before the brokerage houses are able to support those kinds of accounts. Yeah. Even though the law says it's allowed, I have not seen an account application that says a SEP Roth IRA yet. 
Uh, I'm sure they are working on it pretty fast, but getting those accounts papered correctly and being able to accept and code contributions correctly, I'm certain they're not ready for that unless they happen to be completely expecting this law to change and they were way ahead of it. Yeah, my guess is they're not. I'm sure a lot of them aren't very excited to invest in in changes if they're not certain to come true. There's other Roth-related updates. Dan, talk about the catch-up contribution provision, because I thought that was really strange the first time I read it. I still don't know that I've completely wrapped my head around it. Yeah, this one's pretty crazy. So this has been true before the passing of this bill, as remains true. But if you're over age 50, you can make a catch-up contribution to your 401k above and beyond the annual limit. They're saying, you know, that might be your highest earning years and you might be behind in your savings. Let's give you a little bit of an extra window to make contributions to your 401k. Under the Secure Act 2.0, if you are a highly compensated employee, and that means you had earned $145,000 or more in the previous year in wages, you can no longer make a pre-tax catch-up contribution to your 401k. It must now be made into a Roth account within your employer plan. Now, you may be asking me, what if your employer doesn't have a Roth account? Too bad for you. That means you probably can't make a catch-up contribution at all. I mean, that's just really strange to me at several levels. The 145 limit, is that, that's not household income. That's individual income that they're looking at there. Yeah, it says wages. So it's like earned employment income from what I'm understanding. Yeah, that, that's just a really strange implementation. I would suspect that that ultimately gets updated. That just feels like a very wonky thing that it's going to disallow certain people. And I guess the idea is that they don't want really highly compensated people to continue to be able to shelter money from taxes, which is the key reason that people do pre-tax. But that imposes just a really strange limitation on whether people can even take advantage of some of these age-based extra ability to contribute that is otherwise being baked in. And in other places in this law, it's being expanded because the catch-up contributions are increasing basically everywhere else for people that have access to it. So in 2023, the catch-up now is 7,500. So if you're over 50, you can do an extra 7,500. That's on top of an already increasing regular deferral amount, which has gone up to 22,500. So a regular person, everybody out there that has a 401k can now do 22.5 into their 401k as long as there isn't a cap on what they can do because of the testing of the plan. So assuming you can get to that 22.5, another 7,500, that's 30,000 a year. But now the limitation is you've got to have Roth available if you're a high income earner to get access to it. It's just so many moving parts. It just feels like it's getting more convoluted every day. I wonder what that's going to do to enforcement. That must be so hard to track. But as we heard earlier in the year, they have beefed up the IRS staffing. So maybe maybe they figure they're going to be have to they're going to have to work hard to uh, to track this stuff. I mean, maybe the knock on effect there is that it's going to encourage more employers to have a Roth four hundred one k option because their employees are going to pressure them to do it. I definitely think everyone with a 401k should have access to a Roth 401k option. It is a much more flexible tool than Roth IRAs. And you're seeing continued improvements in this space, particularly with the RMD rule that just changed. So this is also part of Secure 2.0. If you had a Roth IRA, if you have one, you never had to take 
a required minimum distribution from a Roth IRA that you started. You could put money in it. You could let it grow tax-free and you can die with that money. You never have to take that money out. If you had a Roth 401k, it still had a required minimum distribution on it, which is just so silly. They've at least eliminated that. So that's gone away as part of this bill as well. The required minimum distribution on a Roth 401k, Roth 403b, etc. Let me just say, if you're a business owner looking to start up a 401k plan, it is not harder to get a Roth option for your plan. So you may as well offer it to your employees. On that note too, one of the benefits of Secure 2.0 is they have expanded the startup retirement plan tax credit for businesses with 50 or fewer employees. Previously, you could get a 50% credit up to a certain limit for your startup expenses. Now it's 100% if you have 50 or fewer employees as a small business. And that affects us too, doesn't it, Dan? It does. Yeah, we get to benefit from that credit. Love that. As our small business just started its own 401k, we are finally at the point that we can have one of those. And uh, that's exciting for us. So basically, as part of that law changing, we now get 100% of the startup cost of a 401k back as a credit. There's, I mean, that that's just a great thing. It's an encouraging thing if you're a business owner that you would want to go ahead and do that. And it's a good thing for yourself and your employees. So uh, I think that's nice because the cost of setting up a 401k in particular has been a prohibitive piece of getting this done in the past. Yeah, I've always perceived it to be very expensive and, and knew it for a fact, having helped people start up plans previously. Nowadays, it's actually not that expensive to start a 401k for your business. So if you're looking at retirement plan options and have a staff of you know a few people or more, I'd encourage you to take a look because they are fairly flexible. And if you're not being burdened by a high startup cost, it might be a better option for you than some of the other things you've probably been pitched in the past. There's no question. It used to seem like the startup plan market was dominated by really, really heavily costed um, kind of insurance-based plans and annuity-based plans that I saw in the past. Those used to be really the best option because a lot of people didn't want that small business plan that just doesn't have a ton of money in it. Similar to the way that advisors and you see like a company like Fisher constantly targeting people with a half a million bucks or more, right? They were advisors were treating 401ks the same way. They didn't want to go after those small plans. I think there's some new entrants in that market that have made this much more attractive and and much easier for the small business owner to do. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let me talk about one of the things that I think is the coolest provision and is literally changing one of my advice patterns immediately out of the gate, which is the change to 529 plans. Now, in my head, 529 plans are a wonderful vehicle. You could get a tax break when you put the money in. You're going to grow money tax-free. It's going to come out tax-free, right? So double tax-free basically at a minimum, potentially triple tax-free or, or a third lever of tax savings. So there's a lot to like about a 529, except that if you overfund them, it has historically been a pain in the butt to get money out if you ended up with too much money in your 529. What just changed, Dan? So now you can roll funds from a 529 into a Roth IRA in the name of the beneficiary as long as certain criteria are met. So this is a game changer. Under the law, you can do up to $35,000 lifetime per beneficiary. 
Um, there are a couple provisions to be aware of. The account must have been open for 15 years. So if you're starting a plan when your kids are born, you shouldn't have an issue meeting that 15-year guideline. And the money that you're converting to a Roth or rolling into a Roth account must have been there for five years. So you can't make a contribution last year and move that money this year into a Roth. But as Ross said, this does change our advice pattern because previously we were being very careful not to overfund accounts. There was also some concern that what if I put money in this account and my child doesn't end up using it? So now there is still benefit for saving into a 529, even if those two things might have been concerns previously. I mean, I also think that there's benefit to basically just starting a 529 plan, even if it's for yourself. Start it and put a dollar in it. Start the clock. That 15-year yeah. window, you might like you might as well go ahead and get an account open in your own name just for the ability to potentially do this in the future because it's kind of like a, a, a sweet backdoor Roth contribution. So you can use it for yourself because I believe, and maybe they clarify this with future legislation, but you can change the beneficiary in a 529. So to say it needs to be in the beneficiary's name, you could change yourself to being the beneficiary and then it's, in theory do a Roth movement for your own benefit, I believe is the way it's currently written. That's possible. They may end up cleaning that up, but that would be a really, really interesting planning tool. Yeah, that's ambiguous at the moment, but I think most people are reading it that way. You are still subject to the annual contribution limit. So you can't do 35000 in one year. You need to do it in pieces, but you're not subject to the annual income qualification for a Roth. So you can do it no matter what your income is. Yeah, it's really fascinating what that's going to allow people to do. So, you know, what I used to target was about 80% of what we expected you to spend on college. I was trying to target the Roth. So, if you thought that you were going to contribute 25 grand a year for your kids' education, we're trying to get to 100,000 as your support mechanism. I would have shot for about 80,000 coming out of the 529. Now, again, the, further back in the projections, we don't know if we're going to be in a really positive market environment or not, right? If you've got a one-year-old and we're trying to plan for when they're 18, you've got 17 years of uncertainty. And so if you're setting your funding threshold at a, you know, shooting for 80%, you still might get to 100 if the market does better than our conservative projections. You also could be below that, right? So as you get closer and closer to that child going to school, you can kind of dial that in. But 80% has been my target for a while just because I didn't want to be way over and then have to figure out how to back that money out. This, I think you can go to full funding almost no problem. You can put that money in there even if they're not maybe going to go to school or not. And you can get a jump start on retirement savings in a really positive way. Yeah, I think at the moment that 35,000 number in a 529 should be a baseline for a lot of people. You know, assuming you have the flexibility for that saving and allocating that money in theory towards your next generation. Yeah. I mean, if we were going to just back into this number, and I'm going to do this live while we're on the air, so I'll try and do it quickly. We're doing uh, it live. We're doing it live. Uh, so if we were shooting for 35,000 as the target, and let's say you've got a one year old, so specifically you've got 17 years, let's say that the market is going to give you, I'm going to use six and a half percent as the interest rate, and you're starting with nothing, all you have to put into that 529 plan to get to 35,000 17 years from now would be a little north of 1100 bucks, 
$1,114.29 to be very specific, but $1,100 a year gets you to $35,000. Now, again, I know people are in different situations, but I would suspect that most people can get to at least $1,000 of savings per year to get a 529 going up to that threshold for themselves. Yeah. And you're just going to jumpstart your child's retirement progress that way too. I mean, getting $35,000 into a Roth at the age of 18, imagine what that looks like at 65. That's not insignificant. Definitely not. Anything else that stuck out to you, Dan? I, I think you know there's so many things in here, uh, like the penalty, for example, on if you miss an RMD, that's coming down. That's, I think, a really nice feature. Yeah. Um, it used to be if you missed your RMD, which let's admit, based on the rule keeps changing and the year keeps changing, that would be easy to do. It used to be a 50% penalty on a missed RMD. Now that's coming down to 25%. Yeah, that's a nice benefit. The only other one I'd like to highlight is the establishment of what they're calling emergency savings accounts. So for folks who are still in the phase of trying to build an emergency reserve, which I think for most people is step one of getting your financial house in order, it might be hard to defer money from your paycheck into a 401k because you don't have access to that and you're still focusing on really the baseline of financial wellness. So you may choose not to contribute to a retirement plan and rather keep money in a bank account so you have it, so you have a little bit of liquidity. What the emergency savings accounts does is it's still an employer-sponsored plan, but allows you to put money aside in a Roth-like account up to $2,500 And that can count as eligible deferrals for employer matching. So it's a pool of money that you can access, still potentially benefit from an employer match, so you're not giving up their free money, and will be accessible to you for emergencies. I think that's a win-win for everyone. Uh, That's only for non-highly compensated employees as well. And that starts in 2024, correct? That's not this year. Right. Yeah. A lot of these rules roll out over the next couple of years. So it's going to be hard to keep track of them for a while. Oh, my uh, goodness. But yeah. I mean, look, we're, we're in the business of financial advice. We're having trouble getting our own heads around it and how many different things have just changed. I mean, in some ways, this is like really positive for financial planners as an industry, right? Like the, the more confusing this is, the more we are needed. But um, I think for consumers, this is just a ton. So let's summarize some of the key ones that we've gone through. Number one. The RMD age is changing. If you were scheduled to have to start your RMDs this year, you no longer have to. It has now moved to age 73. If you already had to take your required minimum distributions, that's going to continue. You don't get a reprieve from that, but it does push off the new ones, and then it's ultimately going to move to the age 75. Number two, catch-up contributions have changed a lot. Not only has the number gone up to 7500 this year, but those are going to be required to be in a Roth contribution if you've got an income in excess of 145000 Number three, you can now do a Roth simple IRA or a Roth SEP IRA. You're getting expanded options, especially for the small business plan, whether you're self-employed, as a sole proprietor, as an LLC, as an S-corp. Those are possible plans for you. Those are really interesting options on whether or not you might want to explore that. The 529 plan rollover to a Roth IRA. 
the ability to move up to $35,000 from a 529 plan that has been in there for at least five years in a plan that's been open for 15 years, all sorts of little checkboxes to hit. But the ability to get that overfunding from a 529 to a Roth one time up to $35,000, huge, huge thing. The introduction of the emergency savings account is coming in 24. And we're still not through all of this stuff. I mean, just a ton to continue to talk about. I think those are the highlights for me, but that's a lot. Yeah, we're scratching the surface and people in specific situations will benefit from other changes in this plan. ABLE accounts have been expanded. There are new exceptions to the 10% penalty for retirement distributions. So, you know, work with, read the bill if you want. I I mean, if you're looking to go to sleep, that's that's an option. But I think it's probably worth speaking with someone or doing some reading on your own to see what might impact you personally. We appreciate everybody tuning in this week. We are going to do a mailbag episode next week. So if you've got questions for the show, this is a great time to get them in. Check your balances at Outlook.com is the email address for the show. We will see you next time.